Do you wish that the Christmas season could be as magical as it was when you were a kid? Has the stress of the season overtaken the happiness of the holidays? In a season that should be full of hope, love, joy, and family, it can sometimes feel like something we barely survive through. What if there was a way to not only survive this holiday season, but thrive? Holiday Survival Guide. This Christmas season, we've been doing this Advent series called the Holiday Survival Guide. Amen. There we go. We got, already got an amen. Thank you, Pastor Martin. Let's just make it sound like I'm a whiny little brat from the last service. But yeah, the sur- Holiday Survival Guide, and we've been going through these, this kind of like this contrasting or this dichotomy, contrasting ideas, this dichotomy of, of understanding. And so Pastor Martin launched us off at the beginning of December with abundance versus scarcity. You know, that we look at the Christmas season and it's full of gifts and it's full of generosity, but it's also, you know, there's this stress that goes in in, in our budgets and, you know, going out and shopping and then we look at the, you know, the, 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 the bill at the end and our receipts and then we get this little little bit of this sticker shock. We we want to be generous, our friends and family, but at the same time, we got to balance our finances. And so there's this this idea, you know, and of, of of wanting to be generous, but also worrying about the budgeting and the season. And we bring some of that stuff into our own lives, you know, and looking at this idea that we got to hold things in and we're, we're a lot of the times having to be living in the sense of scarcity instead of having a generous, abundant heart because God is a generous, abundant God and we can live out our lives in this abundance. Last week, Pastor Darren talked about loved and alone, this, this, this idea, these two things, in the same way that, you know, the Christmas season is all about, you know, family and friends and this being camaraderie and being loved, but at the same time, there's all of this warring things of being alone and there's this grief. And this is one of those seasons in the, in the year that a lot of the times, you know, the depression rate is the highest that it could be. You know, and so it's one of these crazy things, you know, in this season, in this time of year, that we have these, these, these warring things that are happening all at the same time. And when a season should be all about abundance and all about love and peace and joy and hope, Sometimes it can be easy to be swept up in this idea of hopelessness. And so this morning, I want to unpack an idea of the contrast between hope versus hopelessness. You know, a season where we're looking and celebrating the birth of Jesus, this anticipation of the coming Messiah, the anticipation of the hope of the world that comes, that God himself, the creator of the cosmos, comes inside the most simplest, humble, frail forms of a newborn baby. That he becomes one of us, that he becomes our representative, that he brings hope and joy and love and peace and grace and salvation. And so this is a season we look in the church calendar that this is kind of the turning point of history. This is the reason why we celebrate this, because all throughout history is waiting for this moment, the prophets that are speaking towards them, and we'll see in a moment that, you know, even the Israelites, that everything was pointing to this idea of this new promised land, these new hope, this breakthrough, that this is that moment that is a turning point of everything that comes into a form of a baby in Christmas. 
And as the story continues that Jesus grows up and he starts his ministry and he breaks through into that hope into the world as he's interacting with people and giving them hope and healing and it comes right to the cross where he nails hopelessness and buries it to the ground and three days later he rises, raises from the dead and then later ascends and he says that he sits on the throne, that he sits because he's not anxious. He's not worried about hopelessness. He knows I've got this. And so he says that all power and authority has been given to me and then it also has been given to us. See, as the church, we are meant to be people who are overflowing with hope. That as the church, we are ones that are beacons of light into the world. Pastor Jackson is going to be preaching about that idea, light and darkness, next week. But as a church, in the midst of our gathering, you know, there's meant to be this bubbling up, this overflowing of hope that we carry out into the world, that everywhere we go, we carry this hope of life change. We carry this hope that defeats and pushes back hopelessness. That everywhere we go, that that territory of the kingdom of hope continues to expand and more and more people can experience that hope. And hope's an interesting thing because hope almost seems a bit fleeting. It's like nailing jello to a wall because there's always a bit of forward thinking. You know, when we look at the gospel, you've got love, and people love love because it's this idea of, you know, this acceptance and grace. And then you've got faith that propels us, it gives us the courage to move forward. But hope is about a breakthrough, hope is about our future, hope is about the possibilities. And especially in this Christmas season, but even year-round, 365 days a week, the world so desperately needs this hope. And so before we get into this, because let me just say this, one of the realities in the world is that we can't fully give to others what we haven't received ourselves. And so I want to challenge us this morning, and I want to encourage you as well in a, in, a, in a new way to be able to fill you up with this hope. And so this morning is all going to be about receiving that hope, about this hope versus hopeless, how we can have our attention and hope, how we can receive more hope, how God can fill us in overflowing and hope. But I hope after this service that, that as you're walking in that, and you don't have to have this all together, I'm not talking about, I, you know, I can't do anything until I'm 100%, but as you continue to be filled with that hope and you carry that into the world, that that hope will also impact others. And one of the ways that we do this as a church is we do these invites and these events because... You know, the hope that we are experiencing, the hope that is filling up that love and peace and joy and grace and faith and hope that we experience, we know that as that expands, we want others to experience that as well. This isn't something that we should keep to ourselves, but it's like a gift in the Christmas time that we get to share with others. And so in a, in, in a little over a, a week's time, so not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday is Christmas Eve. And if you've ever experienced one of our Christmas Eve events and services, you know that this is one of those pinnacle times. See, this, what's amazing about Christmas Eve, out of all the different events that we do, is it takes next to no convincing for somebody to come to a Christmas Eve event because it's part of the rhythm and tradition of people. That they are looking for something of a Christmas tradition to be part of as a family and so when we look at this idea of a Christmas Eve, this is the ample opportunity for others to experience this hope in a season that is full of hopelessness. And so on your seats, you will notice an invite card for our Christmas Eve event. The reason why we do these invites is because there is so much power in a simple invitation. 
I share the statistic over the summer in an all-in message series, but I want to say it again, that 80% of people that are willing to check out a church like Gateway do it because somebody they know invited them. 80% of people that check out church for the first time for some people do it because somebody they know personally invited them. The power that you have of introducing somebody to the hope of this season is in a simple invitation. So we print out these cards for you because it's a tool. The invitation needs to come from you, but then you have all the information in your hand. So let me encourage you right here, right now, to grab one of those invites. Don't wait till the end of the service. Grab one now, or two, or three, and put it inside of a purse or your pocket so you don't forget it. And as you're going out and you're carrying this hope that you're going to receive, that God would direct you in somebody that he wants to experience that hope as well. Because here's the thing. See, that's a, it's an encouraging thing that 80% of people, by your simple invitation, but there is this national and international-wide statistic that says that only 2% of people in churches in North America actually invite somebody. 2%. Now, I believe that our church can do better than that. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Now, can I get an amen for that? And I remember saying this at one point, somebody said, yeah, could you imagine if we get that to 10%? And I said, imagine if we went from 2 to 4%. We would double in size and so much more people would experience the hope that is in the season. So much more people would experience the life-transforming message of Jesus Christ because of that simple invitation. I know it feels scary in that, but if you have that hope in you to take that courage to take ground and say, hey, we've got this amazing Christmas Eve event. Here's all the details. It's going to be an opportunity for your kids and family. And we're going to have candlelights. So we're going to sing carols. And you're going to hear the gospel. We're going to hear the message of Christmas in a new and fresh and modern way. Who wouldn't want to experience that? And when they come into these doors, that they're going to experience hope. And they're going to experience family. They're going to experience welcomeness and acceptance. Right when they come into those doors and when they sit down and experience that, I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in their life, that their life is going to be transformed. And what if they come back the next week and the next week and the next week that they can get that breakthrough and that life transformation and living in that hope that we have. So don't forget to grab that invite. So as we continue in this idea of hope and hopelessness, that as we're battling out this idea and pushing back the hopelessness and helping people experience that, we ourselves also have an internal battle in this hopelessness. See, in the Christmas season that should be full of this hope, more often than not, has this warring thing of hope and hopelessness. That when we should be feeling hope, sometimes that we are managing... See, sorry, let me say it this way. When we should be overflowing with hope... More often than not, it feels like we're simply managing the hopelessness, that we're managing the mess in our lives. So let me share a verse with you in Joshua chapter 1 that kind of really pushes this. See, you might think to yourself, how does this Old Testament passage have to do with Christmas? And let me challenge you, it has everything to do with Christmas. Because when Joshua is going into the promised land, that he's setting a new thing, that God is promising them this new blessing, this new hope. And maybe you don't know this, but Joshua, the name Joshua and Jesus have the same root. They're the same name. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, 
Different scholars would say that Jesus is the better, better Adam. He's a better Moses. He's a better David. He's a better Elijah. He's the better Joshua. Leave that verse up. He's a better Joshua. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he brings us into this promised land. But look at what it says. And let's, let's keep this intention both with us as humanity, as a nation of Israel, but also what this means for us today. And here's what is said to Joshua. God is speaking to Joshua. says, I promise you what I promised Moses. See that word, I promise you, that when God promises something, he delivers on it. And he says, I promise you what I promised Moses. See, the nation of Israel, they were supposed to be in the promised land when Moses leads them in, but they send in the 12 spies to go in to, uh, into the, the nation of Canaan, into the promised land. Ten come back doubting, and two believe that God will do. And so they listen to the ten, they listen to the crowd, they listen to the hopelessness, and they wander the desert for 40 years. And so they, they didn't believe or trust God's promise. But God says, even though you didn't trust, my promise still stands. And so even though a generation passed to give this promise, I'm going to deliver on it. So Joshua, the promise I give you is the same promise I gave Moses. And this is what he says, wherever you set foot, I will be, sorry, you will be on land I have given you. Literally what he's saying is, as you take the promised land, wherever you set your foot, that expansion of your territory will go. Every area that I've marked out, if you set your foot from territory to territory that we mapped out together, it will be yours. I promise you this. From the Negev, Negev wilderness into the south, to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River into the east, to the Mediterranean Sea to the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. This is this promise that he's saying, look, go out, take the land. Everywhere you step, hope will grow. Everywhere you step, the territory will be yours. I will promise you this. And he says, wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. That God has already gone. He will go with. That God will give you the land wherever you step in faith, wherever you expand in your area. I will give you that. That same thing in our life. Wherever area that we step into that God is leading us, God will expand that. That hope will move forward. We'll push back the hopelessness. God gives that promise. And he says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. And what's interesting is that as they go forward, they see this promise. They take down Jericho. They take out AI. They take out these different things and they start expanding. Wouldn't it be amazing this moment that God is showing up in these crazy, miraculous ways and the nation of Israel is going to take the promised land. And then he says this, and I said, I will not, sorry, I will not fail you or abandon you. That God is promising, I will go every step with you. No matter what happens, I'm going to be right there with you. But here's what happens. I don't know if it's out of tiredness. I don't know if that's out of complacency. I'm not sure if they just felt it was good enough. But they stopped short. God laid out the map. These are all the errors I need you to take. And they stopped short. And they say, you know what? We've got enough land. Let's just manage the rest. Let's just keep the, our enemies at bay. And let's just manage our enemies. And what we see through the history of Israel over and over again, by managing that, they continue to attack. The hopelessness that these nations had, the mess that they had, the, the false gods that they worshipped started to seep in to the Israelite culture. Got all the way to the point where literally 
kings and queens and royalties and entire nations abandon God and worship false gods. Pastor Darren talked about this with the story of Elijah and that the royalty and the nation were, there was nobody, no, no prophets, nobody was worshiping the true God and Elijah was the last of all the godly prophets. This is literally where it came because they chose to manage their enemies instead of dealing with it in their life or dealing with it in the point when God said to go out. And in the same way, what I wonder is this. See, God promises, just like as we see in this, I promise you, he promises to the nation, right? That he could take all these land, take the promised land. And like I said, that Jesus is the better Joshua, and he leads us into the promised land and gives us every area in our life towards hope and fulfillment and regeneration and new life and breakthrough. But more often than not, what I think we do is we, fall, we stop short as well. And instead of going into every area and finding hope and dealing with the hopelessness and dealing with the mess in our life, we choose instead to manage the mess, to manage the hopelessness. So here's my challenge for us this morning. This is the one thing, if you forget anything else, is this idea. Don't simply manage the mess in your life. Don't manage the hopelessness. What do I mean by that? Just like the Israelites that chose to stop short, so often in our life, I think we do the same thing. We manage the mess. We just say, you know what, it's good enough. I've got, I've got this corner over here and I'll just keep everything at bay, but it's, the hopelessness continues to press in. The mess in our life continues to press in. When God's saying, I want to deal with the mess, I want to deal with the hopelessness and give you new life. Let's look at it in this analogy. A lot of travel happens in the Christmas season, and we've got to pack one of these. A suitcase. Now, if you've done any traveling or going to the airport, you know that there is this fine line of how much you can put into one of these. You know, and when you're packing it, you're not so much thinking like, okay, let me show a hands who actually puts their suitcase on a scale so they don't get to the airport. Well, you guys are smart. Because when you're doing that, you're thinking of all these things I need to bring. And let's be honest, we usually put more in than we need because we'd rather be prepared. But then when you get to that airport and you grab that suitcase and you're about to put it on the belt and you almost do this like really weird like, if I just like go to it real slowly, maybe it'll be not as heavy <laughs> as it could be. And then it goes over like one or two pounds. Like you think for once, okay, it's one or two pounds over. But I swear, it's like a simple enjoyment that these little clerks people have where they go and it's like, yeah, 52 pounds. And it's like the small enjoyment they get where they're like, that's going to cost you this or you need to take it out. And then you look like an idiot with like hundreds of people behind you and you're opening your suitcase. And now you've got the task of going, what in my suitcase adds up to two pounds? Like you actually have to think that through and you're holding like one boot and you've got some toiletries and you're hoarding them over like a troll underneath a bridge. You gotta shove them into your carry-on because there's no way I'm paying that extra money, right? I'm not paying for that. You know, and it's interesting because, you know, we call this a luggage or a suitcase, but another word is baggage. And we carry this around like, Imagine this being all the mess, all of the hopeless, all the stuff in our life, and we just, we store it in there. Better to put it in here because we don't want anybody to see it. You know, we want to manage it. Let's just put it inside the suitcase, but we're not going to deal with it. Let's just leave it there. And this is what we do in life. We take the baggage of our life, all of that mess, all of that hopelessness, and we just carry it around. 
Instead of dealing with it just easier in the short term, you know, I don't want, I don't want to open this up. I don't want to deal with what's in here. So we just walk our life carrying the weight and the garbage and the mess and the hopelessness. And we just carry this around in our life instead of dealing with it. You know what God says too is that he says that, you know, he gives us that opportunity that his hope and his message is to actually deal with what's going on here. And that's the promise he gives us. That's the promise that we see into that New Testament, sorry, when they go into the promised land in the Old Testament, he says instead of, sh- of going short, instead of managing the mess, instead of carrying around that baggage and that weight, let me deal with it. Or maybe you think to yourself, you know, yes, I know I need to deal with this baggage, but I'll get to it. Because you know what? I want to keep it a secret. I'll, I'll deal with it. You know, I'll, I'll go, I'll just leave it over here and I'll be able to just handle it and I'll deal with it. But let's just be honest with yourself. How has that worked out for you so far? See, what God wants to do for us is he wants to say, let's open the suitcase. I just got to find the zipper now. Open this suitcase and start dealing with the junk and the messes in here. Maybe, you know, you've got the two pizzas you ate yourself and that one night and the shame of all of that or the different addictions you have in your life. Or we're not even going to talk about what's in here. Or the weight that you're carrying that needs to be unpacked so you can be unhindered in your life to be able to walk free in hope and to unpack your suitcase so no longer you're carrying it around but God is bringing it out into the light. Now let me just say this. This is probably one of the scariest steps in the Christian walk. In some areas we call it confession. We call it, you know, whatever it is but it really is bringing out the baggage and the mess in your life out into the light. And why it's scary is because now it's out in the open. See, in your mind, we we trick ourselves to think, well, if I just keep it inside, if I leave it in the dark, if I don't deal with what's going on, then at least, you know, I don't have, I don't have to deal with it. I don't, I don't have to see it. I don't have to, I don't have to, other people don't have to notice it. God doesn't have to be aware it's almost like thinking, like, you know, I'm going to put something in my suitcase and it goes through that metal, not the metal detector, but the x ray machine. And you think maybe they won't notice what's in there, that embarrassing stuff. But it's an x ray machine, for goodness sakes. And God knows already every area that's already in here. And so we need to take the effort to actually open that suitcase up and let God deal with. Because here's the thing when Jesus came to earth, when he died on the cross and he rose again, he dealt with all the sin. All of the accusation, all of the death and sickness, he nailed it to the cross, buried into the ground, three days later rose, ascended and sat because he is not anxious or worried. And he says, all power and authority has been given to me. But we have this terrible tendency of digging up what has already been buried, of trying to manage and deal with the stuff that Jesus is like, I've got this. If you would just relinquish control let me open the suitcase and let's start dealing with this. Now, let me be very clear. There is wisdom in how we do this. I'm not just saying, hey, let's everybody take turns, get in front of the church and unpack our suitcase. Now, who would actually want to do that? Yeah, you're not, you know, masochist, so. 
But inside of a safe, loving, grace-filled, mature, Bible-believing, spirit-filled community, in a small group of people, you can unpack this, deal with them, pray about it. Let Jesus heal you. Unpack those pieces. And some, let me say this too. It's not just about opening it up and dumping everything out. It's just simply opening the suitcase and allowing Jesus to say, let's deal with this thing. Give me that and let me give you something better. Because here's the thing. It isn't just good enough that we empty the suitcase and leave it empty because God isn't just simply about dealing with the mess and dealing with the hopelessness in our life. He wants to fill us up with hope. So look at what it says in Luke 11. It says these words, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes to the desert searching for rest, but when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So he'll return and find that the former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. See, what happens is this, is we can so often, you know, like sweep out the house and clean everything up, but what we need is we need to replace what was junk-filled with something better. With the empty of the home with somebody stronger than this, and that strength comes from Jesus, comes from our faith, comes from the hope that God wants to fill us with. And so what God does, and he says, open the suitcases, give me that junk, give me that weight, give me that shame, give me that addiction, give me that deep, dark secret, let's deal with it, let's redeem you of it, but let's also take something in return. See, God wants to take the mess, take the hopelessness, and give us hope. So it isn't just good enough that we empty the suitcase. We also need to receive. We need to receive that goodness. So what would it look like for God to unpack your suitcase from hopelessness and fill it with hope? And here's the thing. That's an individual answer for every single one of us because God has an individual plan and way to deal with this. And you need to be asking yourself your question in this. But let me just challenge you with this and this encouragement of this last verse that we get in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you want that in your life? That when we unpack this suitcase, that God can fill you with all joy and peace. Who wouldn't want more joy and peace in your life? So fill you with all joy and peace as you what? What's the next word? Trust. Trust him. Trust him as he leads. Trust him as you walk out. Trust that he'll deal with the baggage. Trust that he will give you something good so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we overflow so we can be the hope of the world, so we can be the light of the world, that as everywhere we go, every step that we take, that territory grows, the hope goes, the people we invite come and experience this hope. See, it's not just about us. But it's also about others, but it needs to start with us. And so this morning, what I want to do is challenge us to receive this idea. And what that means is we need to take a step to take courage, to take trusting God, to allow him to open the suitcase and deal with the mess that's there. And so this is what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up.
And this is going to be an opportunity for you to receive healing and hope in your life this morning. We're not talking about emptying out the entire suitcase. We're not talking about in an unsafe environment to just shame you or to shine something in your life that isn't healthy. We're talking about us letting Jesus direct us and knowing what part needs to be taken out, healed and redeemed and giving you something new. And so what this is going to look like is you're going to come up, we're going to pray for you, we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit, and he's going to direct every one of us in how we can unpack this suitcase. To stop managing the mess and hopelessness, but instead to start taking one step, one step, that is it. One area where, like it said to the promise of Joshua, wherever you lay your foot, I promise I will give you that territory. One step to say, I believe that God and trust him that he will overflow me with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that I can be filled with joy and peace overflowing. That's the promise. That's what we're praying. That's what we're believing. And so let me say, do not leave this place if Jesus right now is prompting you to say, enough is enough. I want that hope. I've got to deal with the mess. Why don't you guys stand? And as we finish, I'm going to pray for every one of us as corporate, as a church. When I say amen, to take that step, take that courage trust God and come forward and receive hope. Unpack the suitcase in your life. Holy Spirit, prompt us now. Reveal to us what needs to be dealt with in our life. What area that we need more hope. What area that needs to be cleaned. What area that needs to be dealt with. Allow us not to sit longer satisfied with the mess with the hopelessness but give us a holy unsatisfaction and a holy unsettledness to be able to say enough is enough Holy Spirit to break chains Holy Spirit to set people free Holy Spirit to fill us with hope and Jesus by your power in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said